Welcome to Literacy Mike, where we have conversations about learning. Literacy Mike is produced by Washtenaw Literacy, believing that literacy is the foundation for a sustainable community. Washtenaw Literacy provides literacy support free of charge to adults through a network of trained tutors. I'm your host, Curtis Edwards. When it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, and intersectionality, how does Washtenaw Literacy put those things to work? Literacy Mike's producer, David Christensen, has a conversation with Grace Pang, a board member at Washtenaw Literacy that is far-reaching but quite close to home. Paraphrasing Grace, relationships across lines of difference are hard to form. They talk at length about how Washtenaw Literacy operationalizes community resources, community building, and relationships. The soup in which we all stew. Get comfortable. Grab a cup of tea. This is a longer format than you should expect from Literacy Mike, but it's a special occasion and a critical topic and our first episode ever. So let's just jump right in here. How long have you been involved with Washtenaw Literacy? I started volunteering with Washtenaw Literacy in September of 2014. Uh, That's when I went through my first round of core tutor training, which I've actually done a couple of times. I was a tutor. I was doing ESL tutoring, open tutoring for a while, and at some point became a mentor, including like a lot of training um, and other projects for Washtenaw Literacy. About a year and a half ago, I was recruited to the program committee, which is one of the board committees. Just recently, last September, was uh, recruited to serve on the board of directors. So that's been about nine months. And what draws you to the work that Washtenaw Literacy does? You know, what originally drew me to the work I would say selfish reasons. Um, at that time in my life, I was really looking for a couple things. I was looking to have more diversity in my life. Um, I was really looking to be blunt about it, to have more Asian people in my life. <laughs> I was also looking for a way to be able to think more about language learning. So I was on my own personal language learning journey at the time. So those two things, I was looking for a way to kind of structure th- those two things into my life. Because Washtenaw Literacy serves a diverse population, that's actually really, really important. And I've always been what my husband likes to call a language person. And that's just been part of my life as long as I can remember. So I think the mission itself is really critical. But I think sort of larger than that, one of the things I really like about Washtenaw Literacy, I think we do a really good job of leveraging our power as a civic organization. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. What is the role of civic organizations in the life of the community? You know, one thing that civic organizations do, organizations like Washtenaw Literacy, is address a specific mission. So I've already talked about, you know, the the language and literacy mission. But I think another thing that civic organizations do is they help communities develop their capacity for meaningful and strategic civic engagement. I think of it as these organizations acting as nodes around which people can organize and develop relationships. And it's really these networks of relationships that expand and strengthen a community's capacity to function and solve problems. You know, from the beginning, I remember, you know, talking to folks at Washington Literacy on staff about observing how the organization was bringing together learners and tutors and mentors, other volunteers, donors, funders, stakeholders, creating a way for those people to act together. And I think that's really compelling. And I think in a county like Washtenaw County, which is so economically and racially segregated, Washtenaw Literacy is really well positioned to provide a way to bridge um, some pretty severe structural divisions in our community. 
So it just brings people together who otherwise would not be able to come together. And I think that's very compelling for me. I do think a lot about the sort of economic segregation of Washtenaw County. And indeed, I think a lot of Southeast Michigan in general, Mm -hmm. I think that sort of pattern plays out. And like our moment right now, you know, it's easy to think about all this stuff because we're staring us right in the face. And I think because segregation is tricky, because it can be an out of sight, out of mind kind of thing where you think, oh, well, I personally am not a racist, you know, and I would not act in these ways. But I also don't ever have to really put that into practice, right? Because I'm just sort of in my own little zone. And so I think having the opportunity to meet and work with people from other backgrounds, I think is really important because it kind of takes what could be hypothetical in a a segregated area and makes it real. I think that the... And this goes back to like W.E.B. Du Bois and double consciousness and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. You know, essentially that ability to live in a bubble is really only accessible to people who are in the majority, right? So in my personal life, I feel like I can't really relate to that. So no matter what I do, Mm -hmm. I I can't get away from the fact that these divisions are there. You know, it's interesting in Washington Literacy's case, and this is something that I talked about in the program committee and on the board. I said I came because I was looking for my more diversity. And I did find it. And that diversity was pretty much entirely in the learner population. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah. So if you look elsewhere in the organization, it's not nearly as diverse. That said, the mechanism or structure of washout literacy is still sort of really well positioned, has an explicit mission to provide literacy support to adults. It creates opportunities both for people who are looking for support and people who want to offer support that structure is really powerful, right? So like what you do with that structure, how you manage that structure is of course critical, but the fact that the bones are there, I think to me is very, very compelling. Yeah. Um, Because otherwise, you know, those kind of really direct personal relationships across lines of difference, I think are quite hard to form. I think a lot about our agency and how we And then just also nonprofits in general. And I think there is a risk of being sort of patronizing or paternalistic in nonprofit work. I think we do a good job of avoiding that. And the thing that kind of put me back to sleep, if, you know, if, if these thoughts keep me up at night is the fact that so much of our, the work that we do is centered on the goals of our learners. So it's not a curriculum that we're providing for people but that we are trying to work with them where they are Mm -hmm. and help them with what they want help with. And that, to me, I think positions us in a better place. And that's not just with learners. I mean, I think an organization like Washtenaw Literacy, I think is very conscious about that idea of working with people starting where they are. And that's not just learners, that's also tutors or anybody else who's coming to the table Mm -hmm. um, to try to push forward on the mission. So today we're, we're going to be talking more about diversity and equity and inclusion work that an organization is doing. And I think that speaks to this idea that, you know, we're all coming from different places. Yeah. Um, but if we create structures and supports to drive us in a certain direction, that's going to be, I think, very helpful for everyone involved. For sure. Can you tell me a little bit more about your experience of being a board member? You mentioned earlier, that's kind of where you're at. Right. So that's that's the kind of volunteering that's fitting into my life right now. And I do want to emphasize for legal reasons, we have to have boards of directors. At the end of the day, every single member of the board of directors is a volunteer, is a community volunteer. And that's the framework that I used to think about that work. So 
right now, for me, serving on the board is really pushing forward in two interrelated areas. One is serving on the program committee. So I recently stepped up to being chair of the committee. Right now, we're really focusing on doing work to strengthen the organization's capacity to deliver literacy support to adults through programming. So that means really trying to reach out um, and bring more volunteers on board who can strengthen the organization's ability to deliver excellent, relevant programming and have good policies to support that programming. So that's really the focus of the program committee and also to advocate, of course, for the agency and for the people we serve. In a sort of separate but related stream, when I came on board to the board back in September, one of the assignments that I took on and really started up in force in November of last year was serving on the ad hoc committee for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that committee, the charge given to that committee was to draft a statement of principles on diversity, equity, inclusion to kind of expand on some of those. DEI was included as a core value of Washington literacy in the last round of strategic planning. And so this is really a statement that fleshes out what does that core value really mean to us and how does it relate to our mission. So that statement was approved recently. From there, what we're talking about now is what do we do next? We've got the statement. What are the next steps for sort of operationalizing that commitment? We're in discussions right now about creating some kind of task force or addressing issues of equity and specifically pretty focused right now on being explicit about anti-racism. Hopefully what will happen, and this is an ongoing process, that task force can help us define our strategic priorities with regard to equity. You think about the intersection of literacy or low literacy with racism and poverty and adult learning, right? Or if you think about the intersection of language acquisition with those things, you know, what are our priorities? What, where do we need to really focus to advance equity in, within the organization? And also hopefully help the organization identify some strategic opportunities, some ways that we can put in place structures or policies or processes that will help us operationalize these commitments. So this is really about what can the organization do to take really specific concrete actions that lead to measurable outcomes that benefit the learner tutor community. And that's, that's really critically important because, you know, there's no point in writing a declaration of principles on diversity, equity, and inclusion if it's just a bunch of words, people flapping their gums. That's got to be a tool to drive action and to drive decision making. That's where we are right now in the discussion. Can you tell me about what perspective you hope to bring to the board? A few different things. I think, you know, on the most sort of practical level, I have a background in second language acquisition and definitely bringing that sort of an ESL, I guess you could say, perspective to the, to the board and a focus on secondary language acquisition. I also have worked for diversity, equity, and inclusion. That work, of course, has been going on for a really long time. You know, so I bring a background in working on equity issues to the board as well. You know, I spoke earlier about the role of civic organizations. And I think in my professional history, one thing that was always a thread was a focus on strategic organizational development and capacity building. That's something I think, you know, having a background in the nonprofit world for mission-driven organizations, which often take on very challenging mission, making sure that an agency is resourced in a way and has the capacity to, to do the work it needs to do is really important. So I definitely bring that perspective. And then I think just my own personal history. My parents learned English as a third language. There is not a time in my life when that wasn't part of my life, thinking about language. 
and also um, to a certain extent literacy in that regard. As a kid, was always on call to help my dad with his writing. So that's just been part of my experience. Where I grew up, I think, has been a huge part in shaping the way I see the world. I'm from the Chicago area, came from a pretty diverse town and sort of region right outside of Chicago. And that's really shaped my thinking. And it was specifically growing up at a time when there was a lot of social change, like in the 70s and 80s, that really shaped how I see pretty much everything. I know that the board has approved the DEI declaration that you mentioned earlier and that it expands on our core values. Can you tell me more about the agency's journey towards getting this declaration approved and then how that fits in with our core values? So that's that's a really long journey. And the agency was founded in 1971, so <laughs> it's just a little bit younger than I am. <laughs> Here we're really talking about nitty-gritty work of running a nonprofit, of, of organizational change, right? So the DEI Declaration of Principles is a direct outgrowth of the latest strategic planning process. Before my time on the board, conversations were starting to be had amongst the staff, amongst the board committees, and so on about we're ramping up for our next round of strategic planning. And the facilitated process for strategic planning, the formal process, ran from March to July of 2019. Basically, you're talking about an eight-month period where that was getting ramped up and executed. In that process, diversity, equity, and inclusion were really kind of integrated into the process of thinking about where are we going strategically as an organization, right? There were surveys done, I think, both of the staff and of the board. Uh, People were in thinking about these issues and consultants brought in and so forth. So the outcome of that process was that, you know, the mission of the organization and the vision of the organization were affirmed, providing literacy support to adults free of charge through a network of trained tutors, eliminating illiteracy in Washington County. That vision and mission were were affirmed. And some new strategic goals were approved and the core values of the organization were revised. One of the key strategic goals on the programming front is that we will focus literacy services to promote equity in our community. Right, so it's right there in the strategic plan. And diversity, equity, and inclusion is one of three core values. And I think it's really important to, if you think about the agency's journey, to realize that this didn't just pop out of a vacuum, right? So this is work that's been engaged, particularly on the staff level. My understanding is from around 2013-ish, where, you know, and this this goes back to the idea of community organizations and civic organizations and the role they play in developing community capacity. So my understanding from Amy Goodman, who's the executive director of the organization, is that University of Michigan put out a call for the community to think about race and Washington literacy. This is back in 2013. Washington literacy kind of was one of the organizations to step up and engage that call. There has been a staff development process where the organization has been really trying to engage with issues of race and understand the relationship of that, that structure with the organization. and. It's out of that work that this most recent strategic planning process could emerge, the very explicit focus on thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, right? You know, as I said before, this is, this is a continuing journey, right? Statement was approved. And then that next step is to think about how to operationalize on it. We, as a DEI ad hoc committee, drafted up that statement. It was a process. The goal was really to come up with a tool that the organization can use to advance its work in this area, to hold ourselves accountable to explicitly stated principles. 
it's really about making discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion more explicit and focused within the context of Washington Literacy's work. We are a mission-driven organization, so we need to be thinking about how do our basic principles in this area intersect with the actual work we do on the ground. I think it's going to be interesting as, as we move forward and really try to think structurally about what this Declaration of Principles means for us. It's going to be a process. It's going to be an iterative process. And it's really about digging into looking at specific policies, looking at program outcomes, that kind of thing. That's going to be about continuous attention and continuous improvement. Really, I think the, the idea of a journey is apt, something that started well before you and I ever heard of Washington Literacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think the idea of a process or a journey is a good way to think about all of this so that it's not just a box that we can check. We did it. You know, we thought about race, right? And then right. now let's move on. I think it's something that you have to sort of keep returning to for sure. You may have already touched on this. To your perspective, how does this process resonate with Washtenaw Literacy's mission and why is that important? The mission of Washtenaw Literacy, and I'll just give you the whole thing as a quote, believing that literacy is the foundation for a sustainable community. Washtenaw Literacy provides literacy support free of charge to adults through a network of trained tutors. We've done tutor trainings together in all the tutor trainings I've ever done. And what we do is we put that mission statement up on the screen and we have someone read it and we say, you know, what jumps out at you <laughs> about this mission statement? Yeah. And we have a discussion about it, right? Explicitly. I think if I think about this process of developing the statement, not just developing the statement, but that the whole process of really engaging issues of racism, white supremacy, equity, if you think about that, and I look at the mission, two things that jump out to me are the idea of a sustainable community mm -hmm. and a network of trained tutors, right? In the DEI Declaration of Principles, which was deliberately written in plain language so that more people would be able to read it directly, the way we framed it is a literate community is a strong community. So if you think about that idea of strong community or sustainable community and the network of trained tutors, what it comes down to, and I've said this again and again, is that Washington Literacy is about leveraging the capacity of the community in its day-to-day -day work. What Washington Literacy does is bring together a ton of people, whether they be tutors, other kinds of volunteers, donors, funders, whatever, to do the work, right? It facilitates that work. And I think the process for writing the declaration was basically the same. A small group of volunteers, board members, coming together and thinking about what do we want to say about this? What reflects the work we've done to date? What reflects the direction we want to continue to go in the future? How do we craft this statement to move us toward this idea of sustainable community and move us towards this vision of eliminating illiteracy in the county? If I think about process, that's a key thing. Because in my mind, essentially what Washington Literacy is, is this huge network of volunteers and supporters, right? It's managed by a small staff and it's you know, with a really pretty tiny budget. You know, what do you do with that small staff and tiny budget? You use that as a lever, right, to gather resources, to gather energy, to tackle the mission, to tackle the problem. In that way, I feel like Washington literacy and the community are really inextricable from each other. And process of engaging the community to address this core mission and the factors that impact that mission is parallel processes. Can you talk a bit more about the ways that the core values and the DEI declaration lay a foundation for addressing racism? 
I think it definitely does lay a foundation for addressing racism. And I would say that actually the statement, what it really does, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, right, tries to kind of flesh those out. In the preamble to the core values, this is one of the key sentences, right? Literacy is a right and a cornerstone to equity. So if we think about the idea of literacy as a cornerstone to equity, I mean, really think about it and what it means, right, for the work of the organization. You have to start asking specific questions like, can we have equity without literacy? Can we have literacy without equity? You know, those two questions, I think, are you cannot get more core, to use the term core values, to the work of Washington literacy. If we can't address those questions, engage those questions, then there's really just kind of no point in being in an organization. That means that we're going to have to, we're going to have to continue to engage with systems. I think what the declaration does is it makes it a little bit more explicit than what it has been in the past. But the question is, how are systems of inequity and exclusion, right, tied up with low literacy? How are systems of inequity and exclusion tied up with barriers to secondary language acquisition, right? So then we're in the world of, you know, systemic racism, structural racism, white supremacy as a system, poverty as the product of a specific economic structure, right? And I think when we talk about racism and we look at that as an organization, I think it's really important to focus on those structural aspects. If you think about what an organization can do that is different from what an individual person can do. It is focusing on systems and structures. I'm not saying that the personal or interpersonal level of racism can or should be ignored, but I think in terms of what the organization can't actually get its teeth into, it's those very concrete, specific structures, whether they be how a program is designed, how a training is designed, what kind of policies we articulate. Those kinds of things are where structures of inequity are replicated and enforced. So we have to be super conscious about how are we doing that as an organization? How are we being anti-racist as an organization in order to make sure that we're not just reproducing? So what does it mean to say, here are our core values, or what does it mean to draft up this statement of these are our principles with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, I think, again, going back sort of to the nitty gritty work of organizational change, right, or organizational development. So guiding documents like the core values and DEI declaration just have a very specific role to force this kind of continuous attention, right? This continuous attention, this continuous questioning, investigation, you know, through the lens of equity, through the lens of anti-racism. And I think enforcing that process, essentially a process of both discovery and accountability, right? We're going to go through and re-examine our programs, policies, and practices through this lens. What does it, that process of examination show us to ourselves about what our next steps have to be? And so it's really this iterative process where you're just chipping away at these kind of huge pervasive problems. That's really why the structural aspect is so important, because if you think about racism, just like white supremacy, I mean, these are just huge pervasive problems. They have taken centuries to build in very deliberate ways. And so dismantling those systems means that we're going to have to equally do the work on the other side. And it is just to avoid getting overwhelmed by the immensity of that project. You know, you just have to kind of dig into specific places where you can get some traction and just chip away. So that's, I think those kind of governing documents are just so critical because that's essentially anti-racism is, is about dismantling systems, right? It's not about I guess we can talk about feelings and attitudes. I mean, I guess that's also part of it. But really, anti-racism is about decisions and actions. 
And it also requires anti-racism, really requires a lot of collaboration, which is incredibly difficult, even in good circumstances. So organizations really need tools like value statements and declarations of principles in order to guide collective decision-making and to drive collective action and to bring people together you know, around shared challenges, especially when we're talking about something as dicey and overwrought as systemic racism or systemic inequity. When you're setting yourself up for digging into issues that are emotional, that are deeply personally felt, you have to be able to have something to hang on to in order to not be swept away in a current and just drowned. I mean, you're thinking about things like what are, what are the intersections of like literacy, race, poverty, neocolonialism? How do those impact our mission? Those sound so immensely and ridiculously huge when you think about a tiny organization like Washington Literacy, but that's the, that's the soup we're all swimming in. And we need some way to anchor ourselves. And I think that's what statements like these do. It can feel like it's easy to feel pulled in like a million different directions. And in fact, I would suggest or I would think that the structure of our society and economy wants us to be pulled in different directions so that we don't look at how we got here and what's keeping us here. I'm thinking here. I would say this. The soup is the soup. The soup is the soup, yeah. It's like, am I going to change the fact that there's air and that I have to breathe it? No. But I think if, if we look at the mission and we focus like a laser beam on the mission and on the work, that's where we can have impact, right? I think it's really important to essentially focus on the mission, execute on the mission, do the work mindfully, Yeah. right? We need to be aware that the soup is there mm -hmm. and that it's affecting everything, but we need to focus on the work. Otherwise, there is no way to be effective. In that focus, so there's the focus itself, and then there's your collaborators, your allies, right? Yeah. So it's about linking arms with your collaborators, with your allies to do the work. Mm -hmm. That looks different to different people. From a learner perspective, that means focusing on, you know, what are my goals? What kind of steps do I need to take to get to my goals? What kind of support do I need to move towards my goals? From a tutor perspective, that can look like something like, what kind of training do I need? How do I prepare for my next session with my learner? How do I build a trust relationship with my learner? And likewise, that's also on the learner side. That's a two-way situation where two people or a small group of people are looking to build trust relationships with each other. Through all that, still, I mean, the reason people are coming together is either to develop their literacy skills or to develop their language skills. I think focusing like a laser beam on that purpose is so critical because that's the only thing that's, that's why we're coming together right? And the other stuff, yeah, we need to absolutely be deliberately mindful that we're operating in the soup. But the thing that's going to allow us as individuals committed to this organization and as an organization to keep our head above water, our eyes on the direction we need to go is the work itself. And I think that's something yeah. that's really important not to forget because with everything, especially these days, sort of amazingly, <laughs> finally, We've got this conversation going on a national level, but in some essential way, the work hasn't changed, right? right. The structures have always been there. We just mm -hmm. happen to be talking about them more now. What we can do for each other as people involved in this organization is to remind each other that how change happens is this chipping away process. And while the problem may seem so overwhelming when you think about it as capital T, capital P, the problem, 
that chipping away, if we're all doing it in our mm-hmm. own ways, is the change, mm-hmm. right? I just think it, separating those levels is really, really important. And I think, again, you know, going back to like core values, the declaration of principles yeah. are those kind of grounding elements where we can check ourselves as we're doing the work. Are we doing it in the way we said we were going to do it? So that's, to me, yeah. what's so, so important about, you know, and I'm, you know, writing those kind of things. And I'm very much someone who, if I read too many organizational DEI statements, just feel like, why do people keep flapping their gums about this? Yeah. You know, it was just, it just seems sort of like window dressing, right? But in a specific organization, we have to remember that they're not just words, that they're actually tools mm-hmm. and we have to use them. Thinking of the DEI declaration, were there any elements for you personally that were important to be included? That's interesting because when we were drafting this up and deliberately doing it in plain language, what writing in plain language forces you to do is really think about what words mean and to break things down into the clearest way possible. I think for me, the elements that really I thought were critical were addressing the issue of power. We often, people who are working in the realm of anti-racism, often talk a lot about privilege, which, you know, I certainly get that. But if you really start digging into it, what we're talking about is power and relations of power. We can think about that, you know, in the day-to-day work in all kinds of ways. What's the power dynamic within a tutor-learner pair? What's the power dynamic in a training session? Mm -hmm. I think that issue of power is, is really essential. Another one was the idea of unjust advantage. This kind of goes more directly to the idea of privilege. This idea of justice, right? which breaks down to really the idea of fairness. In a lot of conversations, if you raise the issue of fairness, it just seems like such an elementary word. It can kind of lead down this path of like, what are you saying? Oh, the world isn't fair. You know, that kind of talk in the discourse. But if you really think about the idea of unjust advantages, like someone gets something that somebody else doesn't get, and for no apparent reason except one party was more powerful than the other. So I think that was really important. Leading off of that, is this idea of sharing control. That is really coming out of the of digging into the idea of inclusion, which I understand why inclusion has become part of the discourse in talking about this kind of universe of things. But I am always mindful that there is a power dynamic within the world word itself, right? So if mm-hmm. you're including somebody, it requires two parties, somebody who's already in the middle and somebody who's on the outside. Yeah. That idea of inclusion always has to think about, you know, who's including whom, yeah. right? And that yeah. is a relation of power in itself. For me, this idea of sharing control was a really important way of looking at the idea of inclusion. I don't think we can, as human beings, as animals, right, sort of rid ourselves of power dynamics. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. And that's just well beyond the scope of the mission of Washington literacy, right? <laughs> that said, being aware. Yes. You know, of what we're saying and the subtle ways in which our approach to things can replicate inequity. We want a moment to acknowledge all those who make Washtenaw literacy a reality. We would not be able to help adults learn without donations from the community. We don't grab federal or state dollars. We do what we do because of you. We need you more than ever. And we thank you for keeping us around for almost 50 years. Please visit WashtenawLiteracy.org. That's W-A-S-H-T-E-N-A-W-L-I-T-E-R-A-C-Y. 
Let's get back to Grace and David's conversation. I don't think the goal is, maybe the goal is this, but I think it would be difficult, again, with the sort of, by having like marinated in this soup for, you know, my, my whole life or everyone's whole life, that to completely rid oneself of any racist or prejudiced thoughts and make sure they never happen is lofty. But I think that to have a thought, identify that thought as something that is racist mm -hmm. and then work past it, to me, is a much more achievable goal. So I think there's this structural systematic elements of racism means that these things are going to appear within me, whether I want them to or not. But then it's my responsibility as a conscious creature to go, no, I'm not going to engage in this thought process. I'm not going to carry that through. Right. I don't disagree with anything mm -hmm. that you just said. Mm -hmm. I think that process of awareness and taking responsibility for something when the awareness comes is, of course, very important. To my mind, I think a productive approach is to sort of shift the focus a little bit. Actually, I'm not a person who has a lot of patience for white guilt. Sure. I, I just, I, it's frustrating to me. I think the thing to remember in that dynamic where one is aware that, that our thoughts, our thinking patterns are shaped by structures is really the place to start. You've got structures, we get this environment, right, that is shaping us and shaping our thinking patterns. One way to do it is to try to resist internally, right, mm -hmm. um, by, you know, developing awareness, um, being mindful of taking responsibility for uh, thinking patterns and trying to redirect those thinking patterns and act in different ways than what those thinking patterns would suggest. So I think that's all great. I think to me, where I would like to focus is on the idea again of anti-racism as about decisions and action. If we are, and I agree we are, uh, as human beings shaped by you know the structures that are our environment, then the focus really needs to be on changing those structures. Yeah. Right. Regardless of whatever internal yeah. thinking process that you have, if you have any kind of awareness that you want to change the structures, wherever you are on your so-called journey to wokeness, I mean, I hate to say it, like not personally to you, but I kind of don't care sure, where people sure, sure, are sure. on their journey, no, journey totally. to wokeness, right? If we agree that the structures are what is shaping our ways of thinking, yeah. then what can we do to kind of have these moments of agreement around which we can organize collaboration mm -hmm. to do the work to change those structures, to, to dismantle those structures? And that is very concrete stuff. Yes. Again, chipping away at that, what you're doing is changing the environment. So if you change the environment the thought process follows. It's not yes. the other way. It's not yes. that the thought process creates the environment, change the environment. And then over time, the thought process follows. Yeah. I mean, essentially, if you look at the demonstrations after the George Floyd murder and continuing demonstrations, what was happening there? All of a sudden, worldwide, got people on the streets just demanding that attention be brought to bear on this, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, all of a sudden, people are like, oh, maybe this is something, you know, right. I should be thinking about more deliberately. Maybe they're not thinking that. Maybe they're like thinking, this is something I should re respond to in a knee-jerk way. You know, I mean, that's all. <laughs> but, you know, even so, even if people are responding in a knee-jerk way, it's more than they were doing, you know, before. Thinking about, in the case of Washington literacy, what is within our sphere of influence and what structures are within our sphere of influence mm -hmm. 
that we can really closely examine in a very mindful way, in a very deliberate way, using the tools that we have, bringing in more resources when we need them to support you know, yeah. our work. You know, being very transparent about that. So that's also going back to the core values, one of them being integrity and specifically speaks to the idea of transparency. When we do that work, being clear about, you know, what our goals are and what our process is. And I think that's the way where we can really, you know, going back to my old, <laughs> I keep coming back to this idea of community capacity, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you can organize the community's capacity in specific directions, right, and apply them to specific work. That's when you start to change the environment. And in its own little way, Washington literacy is going to be, is, has been, and I think is going to continue to be a critical actor in this county. When I feel overwhelmed, I mean, the only thing that gets me through is focusing on the work. Otherwise, you know, I'd just be watching Korean dramas all day, which yeah. would be totally fine. You know, <laughs> I mean, there are certain days when I just sure. need to be watching Korean dramas yes. all day, but hey. Thank you for letting me think aloud. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you say, it will take the creation of new structures to kind of influence the thought, you know, influence people's thoughts into, I see it as like a recursive, like yeah. a cyclical thing, you know, like I'm influenced by the structures uh, that I'm in and then I can then take that, do some sort of generating and then try to then impact those same structures, which will then, you know, try to impact those structures or create new ones, which can then hopefully influence people in the future. I think that's the important thing. People get really caught up in, I mean, I get it. We're a very individualistic culture. You know, we like to be the hero of our own story, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like, you know, and this is not, you know, I'm not just trying to point the finger at white people or something like this. You know, I, you know, I would include myself. Feel free. Right? It's, yeah. No, I mean, I really, <laughs> I'm really not trying to do that. Yeah. But if I just think about our culture here in the United States, that tendency to want heroes and, and things like that. It's not surprising that people want to focus on the individual. Yeah. Right. To the extent that I could encourage people to not worry about whether they've achieved some kind of internal goal of whatever, I don't yeah. know what, and accept that, you know, just this kind of process of self-acceptance, just like, yes, no one, I didn't create the system. Even if I am responsible for making sure I don't replicate inequity yes. in the system. I cannot claim, I mean, I'm not that important of a person to be able to say, I created this. If we just think a little bit less about, you know, whether or not I'm a good person and more about, you know, what can I do today and who can I do it with? I mean, that, and that's mm -hmm. important. Who can I do it with? Hopefully, you know, at least for some people who are interested in the particular mission that Washington Literacy offers, that who can I do it with question brings more people to the table of yeah. the work that we're doing because we do need more people. Yes, we do. <laughs> that's that's what I would encourage. That's how I would encourage people to think about it. That's how I try to encourage myself to think about it. There is a certain freedom or liberty in not having it be about you or myself, which is not to abdicate responsibility, as you say, you know, like you still need to think about who am I working with and what are my interactions. But I think as people engage in that, I think there is a certain level of performativeness to things. It can be nice, at least for me, to let that go. And I still want to think of performance insofar as I'm putting my thoughts into action. But I, I think that there is a, it can be nice to try to do the work. Again, I'm yeah. not articulating myself the best way. I don't know how else to think about it except... Mm -hmm to think that it's it's basically it's work mm -hmm. you know sometimes work is fun but if it was really that much fun it wouldn't be called work <laughs> mm -hmm. backtracking 
a couple mm -hmm. of minutes here to our DEI declaration. We spoke about what elements are important to be included. I was wondering if in the process of coming to this declaration, was there any disagreements amongst the board about what elements should or should not be included? I would say that there was a robust discussion. Mm -hmm. We know, like never came to fisticuffs. Right? Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say there was robust discussion. It was really important to the board that it was written in plain language because of our mission. I think the points were there were um, variations in how people were seeing things. We were able to hammer out language that I would say addressed people's concerns. And th there was also a process of putting the statement out to beyond the board, right, to the committees, to the mentors, to tutors at Power Tutoring. There was a community survey um, to get feedback. I think that was also important. At some point, we continued to get feedback. At some point, stop making word changes, word level changes, right? And that wasn't so much because we didn't think the feedback was good, but that we needed we needed the tool in place so that we could take that next step towards op opera. I can't say that word for some reason. Towards making it real. Operationalizing. <laughs> Operationalizing. Thank you. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of that feedback, and I hope we get continued feedback. I think is actually you know informing next steps. So, you know, hopefully we'll just have, you know, be able to continue to be open about this process and people can feel like they can contribute to it. It's a process. I want it to continue. Definitely. Yeah, um, it will. It, it will. will. Expanding in scope, mm -hmm. sort of outside of the DEI declaration mm -hmm. and indeed Washtenaw literacy in general. I am curious as to what other ways in your own life have you experienced any issues or challenges relating to racism, diversity, equity, and or inclusion? It's a hard question to answer because it's a pretty big question. It um, is, in fact. I would say it's hard actually to pick out a specific issue or challenge. Um, I think the way I see it is that and not just for me, I think about this in general, everything about my life um, and everything about any person's life is shaped by the intersection between that individual's personal biography, personal history, and the bigger social and political history of the time and place where they live. Part of that social and political history are structures of power and privilege, right? And that's been the case since forever. All kinds of challenges and opportunities will emerge from that nexus of things. I see myself, you know, just completely rooted and embedded in that broader context. So I, I'm a member in the United States anyway of a racial minority and an ethnic minority. I come from, uh, you know, lower middle class background, grew up in a working class area. I'm a woman, but I'm also cisgender, straight. I'm married to a white guy. All those things intersect, right? So I don't want to just focus on, you know, I mean, this isn't to say that it's representative of, you know, you know, what Asian Americans generally are thinking in this country. But when I read things that do focus on, for example, Asian Americans and the issue of race, things come up like, oh, the model minority myth, blah, blah, blah. It still amazes me that we're still talking about that, but here we are. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I think it's good to talk about stuff like that, but I think it's, important to think about, you know, how these systems overlap, how they reinforce each other. And then again, you know, where, as we're in the system, you know, what do you, what do you do about it? I think it just might be the life stage I'm in. I, I think I've kind of stopped 
thinking about that kind of stuff to a certain extent. Yeah. Right. And I, I, when I, when I do go there and I, I guess on a personal level, I do probably go there sometimes. I just try to change the focus to sort of understanding why my life might've been shaped a certain way. Because if I can understand that context, that helps me make decisions about what I'm in a position to do something about. It's a kind of non-answer. That was definitely an answer. Has your thinking in this realm informed your thinking about access to adult literacy? There's two, two strands there I can address. One is my parents' story. By the time they died, and actually well before the time they died, they were fully fluent in English. I guess, you know, when I look at my parents' story, and I'll specifically focus on my father, he was someone who really tried hard to participate in the broader society, whether that was serving on the local school board or being a member of Toastmasters International, which he was he was very involved with for a long time because I think he was concerned about his, his speaking skills. I, I think it's undeniable that he faced he faced barriers both because of his race and his language status. Even though to me he was clearly fluent, you know, basically even even someone like me who was, you know, born in the US and speaks the way I do, studies have shown that people will have a harder time understanding me <laughs> because of the way I look. If I think about access to adult literacy, think about it in terms of access to opportunity and access to support, what's available to people, right? So that's that's one area where I do feel like structural racism really impacted my father's ability to fully, you know, be part of this society. It, it expressed itself very much in terms of, of language and literacy. In terms of my own access to literacy, it wouldn't be English literacy. It would be my own journey as, I guess I would say, a language learner. In the beginning of, in the beginning of time, <laughs> in my personal time, if I go back, my family of origin at home early on, we spoke both Korean and English in the home. And I'm the youngest of three kids. I think by the time I was getting close to school age, we had transitioned to being a strictly English speaking household. There was a loss. I experienced this. My sisters experienced this where at one point we were essentially bilingual as bilingual as a you know, toddler can be. But then later on, you know, lost access to that heritage language. That is very much the result of systemic inequity in our educational system and in our educational policy. So I've been on a path as lovely thing that emerged out of my personal midlife crisis, <laughs> you know, went on a path to try to reclaim that language. And I'm still on that path. And it's very difficult, right? I mean, it's not an easy thing to, to learn another language as an adult. But, you know, I, I definitely feel like in terms of our learners that are on the ESL side of things, these are things I think that they also struggle with. Obviously, the environment we are in really to be functional in English is, is incredibly important to, as we say in the Declaration of Principles, to have access to power or to have the ability to advocate for oneself, things like that. But at the same time, how much are, are people having to give up? Mm -hmm. To what extent can we support language acquisition in English while also making it possible for people to remain whole, whole people, right? Because, mm -hmm. because in terms of my personal feeling, I do feel like when you put an individual body up against systems of inequity, there's kind of a shredding process, right? Mm -hmm. Where things that are not wanted or not valued by systems just kind of get ground away. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty painful. So I, you know, I'm, I'm really mindful and, and, and that you can think about that on the ESL side, on the basic literacy side. I think there are similar issues where if you look at, you know, disparities in education, 
that ultimately result in low literacy amongst adults. I think that is about access to opportunity, access access to relevant support. You know, how does a person remain a whole person and yet access the skills they need to to function in society the way society wants people to function? So I think I guess that's that's the thing to me is understanding that people are coming to the table, they're real people, they're whole people in in so far as they were able to keep themselves whole. And people are coming to the table as equals, right? Even if there are power dynamics, for example, between the person who is helping someone else develop skills and the person who is trying to develop skills, right? But the more we can think about that as partnership is really important. And that's why I think Washington Literacy is focused on being learner-centered, of having learners drive the process through setting goals is really critical. That's about saying we see each other as whole people and we're coming to this individually with our own stories and our own flaws. And and that's really powerful. We're coming up towards the end here. Thank you for your time and all of your thoughts on these ideas and for sharing more about the DEI declaration, but it's always good to talk to you. Um, Good time. Well, yeah. Thank you, Grace. Yeah. Thank you. It was, uh, I hope this podcast takes off. Thank you for joining us on our very first episode. Many wonder how organizations operationalize diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with anti-racism and intersectionality. How do they pull that lever Grace talked about earlier? I hope the dedication, tenacity, and resolve Washtenaw Literacy puts into its work inspires you and your organization. If the soup is the soup, you have to jump into it. Please visit Washtenaw Literacy dot org. That's W-A-S-H-T-E-N-A-W-L-I-T-E-R-A-C-Y dot O-R-G. We hope you join us here at Literacy Mike for the next conversation about learning.